father's lightsaber. What? Lightsabers, precious? Saber's precious. The Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and Psych the Podcast, where you waste time on fictional wikis. I'm Ryan. And I'm Joanna. Ryan, did I hear you slip into a sort of a silly voice just now? Oh, I, that's my normal voice. I put on this is my podcast voice right now. Oh, I see. Well, you know me. Most of the time I sound just like this all the time. But uh, today I use my podcast voice. Well, so it's funny. You know who else sounds like that all the time? Huh. Um, the person we're talking about today... Well, don't spoil it yet. Well, we have, we before some, we get to that... Yeah, we got some news first, We got right? some news first. Yeah. My Lord of the Rings news is that it is not outside the realm of possibility that the Amazon Lord of the Rings TV series will film, at least partially, in New Zealand. Shocker. And by that, I mean they asked the woman running the show, is it possible that it would film in New Zealand? And she said, yeah, it's possible. Wow, that's big, big news. news. What a scoop. <laughs> That's exclusive. Here to hear first, folks. They might film it in New Zealand. There is a greater than 0% chance that at least some of the show will be filmed in New Zealand. Very cool. Very cool. My uncle told me, he works at the Lord of the Rings factory, and yeah. he also told me the cheat code to, to get Sonic in the show. Oh, Sonic in Lord of the Rings. I would love that. I know. No one faster to take the, the ring to Mordor. Can you imagine? He could have done like a day. And he'd be like, you're too slow. So I wouldn't even be able to see him because he'd just be like a blue streak. Speed him by. Sonic the Hedgehog. He's too fast for the naked eye. Sonic the Hedgehog. And people always talk about, like, the eagles yes. carrying the hobbits to Mordor. Tails. What if Tails carried them? What if he carried both Frodo and Sam? Yeah, and then Knuckles was there, too, gliding along with his knuckles. And then Shadow was there, shooting things with bullets. He's got guns. He's got he... guns, which is extra cool. And there's also a human girl there for some reason. That's Sonic's girlfriend. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that chick. Yeah. I don't know how much crossover there is between people who listen to this podcast and people who know all the characters in Sonic the Hedgehog. I love it. But what's your Star Wars news? Okay, well, it's not really so much news. So you know you know that Star Wars fans, we talked about them last week, they can be a bunch of butt babies, right? They're a bunch of butt babies. Some of them can be butt babies. And you could say that their reaction to the current crop of Star Wars films is mixed. Butt babyish. Butt babyish. Mm-hmm. But I guarantee you they should be happy because what came to light this week is George Lucas's original plan for his Star Wars movies. Episodes oh, 7 through 9. If he was going to make them. Yes. Yeah, so which he didn't. But... This is because a book was published, uh, a companion book to James Cameron's Story of Science Fiction series on uh, AMC. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's a big part where he talks to George Lucas. Uh-huh. And let me read some excerpts from it. Okay, I'm right. This is what George Lucas would have done if he well, had directed Seven. He doesn't start out about it right away, but he starts says, Everyone hated it in The Phantom Menace when we started to talk about midi-chlorians. There's a whole aspect to that movie that is about symbiotic relationships. To make you look and see that we aren't the boss, that there's an ecosystem here. And James Cameron's like, ooh, interesting, do tell. And then he continues. He says, The next three Star Wars films are going to get into the microbiotic world. There's this world of creatures that operate differently than we do. I call them wills. That's W-H-I-L-L-S, which is prominent, but I'll get back to that in a second. Okay. And the wills are the one who actually control the universe. They feed off the force. Back in the day, I used to say that ultimately what this means is that we're just cars or vehicles for the wills to travel around in. We're vessels for them, and the conduit is the midi-chlorians. The midi-chlorians are the ones that communicate with the wills, and the wills, in a general sense, they are the force. If I'd held on to the company, I would have done it, and then I would have been done. Of course, a lot of the fans would have hated it, just like they did The Phantom Menace and everything, but the whole story from beginning to end would finally have been told. Jeez, that went from reasonable to, like, what? Pants on the head crazy. Yeah, so Will's... In like two seconds. If you know anything about Star Wars and you're a super nerd, you know that the first draft of Star Wars was called uh, the Star Wars from the Journal of the Wills. And the Wills are these mysterious beings George Lucas came up with before he even made up the, the current plot of the movies back in the 70s. They're referenced a little bit in Rogue One, if you remember, on the on Jedha, that planet they go to, mm-hmm. with those priests and stuff. Yeah. They have the Temple of the Wills. That's what they're protecting. Okay. So they're already, they kind of gave him a nod. But if George Lucas had his way, he'd get his midichlorian trilogy out the door. Okay, but here's the thing. By doing that, by introducing that element, you are stripping the characters of all agency, which in turn strips the movie of all tension. But maybe that's the point. Maybe it's going to be like the characters have to fight against these these microbiotic beings controlling their destiny. 
if that's the case, but he didn't make it sound like it was. He said they're just vehicles. I guess. They sound kind of bonkers. I know it's really vague, but I, I would I would love to see... Would you? In an alternate universe where I, these movies got made? Yeah, or? like the, the Wills trilogy. I would love to see George Lucas's insane microbiotic world movie about, like, you know, taking place inside of Luke Skywalker's veins or whatever. Like, I would love that. We have to talk about the biggest mystery in all of Arda. Many mysteries will remain unsolved. Oh my, is this an Unsolved Mysteries episode? Yes, it is. I'm Robert Stack. Imagine me walking towards you in a trench coat. Yeah. And saying, many mysteries will remain unsolved. You need a much deeper voice. Many (laughs) (laughs) That's how Robert Stack taught. These are the mysteries of Middle Earth. Was Sauron a single dad? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Now they don't even have to show you the reenactment. Just Robert Stack just going, yes. But no, this is, I'm not joking, this is a mystery even Robert Stack couldn't have solved. Heresy. Anyway, we're talking about Tom Bombadil. Oh, good. We're talking about what the hell is Tom Bombadil even? This is the predominant mystery in Tolkien's universe, and generally speaking, Tolkien could never be accused of under-explaining or underdeveloping any element of his world. But Tom Bombadil is the exception. No one is certain what the hell Tom Bombadil is, because Tolkien intentionally did not tell us. Why would he do that? He thought that for it to feel organic, there had to be some unsolved mysteries. I see. But first, for people whose only exposure to Lord of the Rings comes from the movies, we have to explain, like, really, like, who the hell Tom Bombadil is, because maybe they haven't even heard that name. All right, so Tom Bombadil wasn't in the Peter Jackson movies. Peter Jackson cut him out because he's really weird. And doesn't impact the story, like, at all. And he seems almost like he was something that got left in from an earlier draft because Tolkien wasn't really sure what kind of story Lord of the Rings was going to be. I'm saying he seems that way. We're pretty sure he left him in intentionally because it made sense to Tolkien. Okay. Just like the wills make sense to George Lucas. All right, all right. There would have been a whole... Tom Bombadil trilogy, had he retained the rights to it? Yeah, well, I mean, there is a book called The Adventures of Tom Bombadil. Is that canon? Uh, it is It is canon, and it actually predates Lord of the Rings. Does it add things to the Middle-Earth world? It, I mean, it's kind of like, sort of, yeah, it's more like children's tales. And by the way, Peter Jackson isn't the only one to cut out Tom Bombadil. Um, Ralph Bakshi also gave him the boot, in fact... Until I watched Hobbitit, I'd never seen a Lord of the Rings adaptation that kept Tom in. Finland loves their Tom Bombadil. Yeah, what I'm saying is Hobbitit is the best Lord of the Rings adaptation. Most accurate of all. Most complete. But in brief, for people who don't know Tom Bombadil, when Frodo, Sam, Merry, and Pippin depart on their quest, before they've even gotten that far from home, they have to pass through the old forest that borders Buckland. Okay. And in the old forest is a tree called Old Man Willow. And this tree is semi-sentient. But um, he wasn't ant-level sentient, as far as I can tell. So Old Man Willow is what is called a huorn. He wasn't senti-ent. (laughs) Senti-ent. That's where that word comes from. Huorn? Tolkien coined that word. No, he actually didn't. But you know what word he did coin? Tween. Really? Yes, I have felt so betrayed ever since I learned that. Oh, no, that that changes everything. I really hate the word tween. Is that canon? In the Lord of the Rings canon? Yeah, yeah. Hobbits would go through a a phase of their development called being tweens. Oh, I hate it. I know. It's it's, it's really bad. I love Tolkien, but he beefed it on that one. Anyway, so a Huorn is an ancient race of very slow-moving, very dickish trees. They could talk to Ents, but I don't think they could talk to anyone else, and they mostly didn't walk around or anything. But when they got pissed off, they would all of a sudden move very swiftly and kill their foes with dreadful and merciless strength, quote-unquote. I don't like that. Yeah. So, and I don't even know what pisses a Huorn off. That's what's scary. They're inscrutable. Yeah. Like, maybe you walk through the forest whistling, and that's enough to, like, rustle their jimmies, and they suddenly snap your neck. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. They're really scary. Do you remember that scene in the extended edition of The Two Towers where Saruman's forces, all the Urukai, are running away after the Battle of Helm's Deep, and they run into the forest and the trees kill them yes so those were huorns oh okay old man willow was a particularly dickish huorn and when frodo sam mary and pippin encountered him he wrapped his roots all around them and tried to kill them right that was an hobbitit 
Yes, it was. Except in Habitat, a door opened in the tree and like this weird JPEG of fruits came out and snatched them. Yeah. Um, there's an approximation of this in the extended edition of The Two Towers where a tree in Fangorn tries to kill Merry and Pippin. Oh, okay. But otherwise, this part always gets cut out of adaptations too, except Habitat. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, before the four hobbits can get murdered by a tree, <laughs> an old man with a bushy brown beard, a blue coat, yellow boots, and an old hat with a feather in it shows up and he saves them. And this is Tom Bombadil. Oh, he sounds like a real dandy. Well, he's described as being too tall for a hobbit, but too short for a man. And he's also described as being, like, offensively merry. So merry. Like, way too merry. Like, sickeningly happy. Okay. It, like, makes you feel incensed. So when people complain that there are too many songs in Lord of the Rings, like, easily a third of them come from Tom Bombadil. <laughs> he will not stop singing. And in fact, I think we should give people a taste of his his song craft. Okay. Do we have uh, Tom Bombadil in studio today? We have Tom Bombadil and his wife, Goldberry the River Daughter, in studio. So this is Tom Bombadil, feet Goldberry. Hit it! Hey doll, merry doll, ring-a-dong dillow. Ring-a-dong, hop along, follow the willow. Tom Bomb, jolly Tom, Tom Bombadillo. Hey, come, dairy doll, hop along me hotties. Hobbits, ponies all, we are fond of parties. Now let the fun begin and let us sing together. Now let the song begin, let us sing together. Oh yeah. Of sun, stars, moon and mist, rain and cloudy weather. Light on the budding leaf, dew on the feather. Wind on the open hill, bells on the heather. Ding. Reeds by the shady pool, lilies on the water. Old Tom Bombadil and the river daughter. A slender as a willow wand, or clearer than clear water. A reed by the living pool, fair river daughter. Oh, springtime and summertime, and spring again right after. A wind on the waterfall, and the leaves laughter. Old Tom Bombadil is a merry fellow. Bright blue his jacket is, and his boots are yellow. Word to your mothers. Wow, that slapped. It's a, it's a toe tapper, isn't it? Yeah, it sure is. It's, it's, uh, no, actually, it's very annoying. <laughs> I mean, I, uh, I'm torn because, like, I love Tolkien and I actually really like the songs. But Tom Bombadil, I just remember when I read Lord of the Rings for the first time when I was 13, I was like, oh, come on. What's the worst age to encounter Tom Bombadil, I feel like. I know, because you're, like, at your peak irony. And that stretches... I mean, I remember having the same reaction and just kind of flipping through his pages, waiting till it was over. Being like, when is this guy going to shut up? Yeah, it's like pages of songs. <laughs> but now, I mean, I kind of kind of appreciate him now that I know more. But when you're a teen, it, it like does not scan at all. No. Anyway, Tom Bombadil takes the hobbits to his cottage in the woods where they meet his wife, Goldberry. And the hobbits describe Goldberry as looking like, quote, a fair young elf queen clad in living flowers. Tom describes her as, quote, river daughter, whom he met, quote, long ago. So in summary, we don't know what the hell Goldberry is either. She's not actually supposed to be an elf. That's just like the nearest approximation the hobbits could think of. Those like weird magical creatures. Yeah, essentially. The hobbits spend the night at Tom's cottage and he keeps them up all night singing. And then the next morning... He doesn't need to sleep either. He doesn't need to sleep. He's a freak. He just needs to sing. I can't actually remember if that's literally the case, but that's what I imagine happened. So, the next morning, they bid Tom Bombadil farewell. However, they soon get attacked by ghosts. Aww. Barrel whites, which we should talk about probably in another episode. And Tom has to save them again. Then they bid him farewell for realsies, and we literally never seen Tom Bombadil again. Oh. Yeah. Um, he's mentioned again, but he never comes up. And so, plot-wise, he is almost entirely inconsequential. Pretty much everyone who's ever read Lord of the Rings remembers Tom Bombadil, despite his lack of consequence to the plot, because what the hell? Like, what was that about? Yeah, what, what is he? It's just so conspicuously weird. He doesn't fit into any of Tolkien's established races. He's not a hobbit, not a man, not a dwarf, not an elf, we think. Presumably not an orc. Mm. So, like, what the hell is he? <laughs> is he, like, uh, is he a wizard? Well, let's go through the theories. Okay. Let's go through the theories. You might not be that far off. By the way, since Tom Bombadil is a very musical fellow, yeah. I have a song to accompany each one of these theories. 
great. Yeah, you're really going to love them. Like, cool. they, they are classic musical songs that everybody knows and loves. Okay. And I think the people at home are really going to enjoy these songs that I picked. All right, so let's hear some songs and some theories. All right, well, I want you to guess what the theory is based on the song. So this is the song for theory one. That's the time when the party begins. Scout elves don't rest when the nighttime comes. Got the house to myself, I have some fun. I eat and play and jump and run. Scout elves don't rest when the nighttime comes. All right, that's enough. I don't know what that would be. <laughs> He's like Josh Groban or something. Like- <laughs> So maybe I should give you some context. This is a song from the Elf on the Shelf movie. Oh, he's an elf. Yes. That's a theory. Okay, so theory one, Tom was an elf. So, the Encyclopedia of Arda describes Tom thusly. A mysterious and powerful being called by the elves, Eärwain ben Adar, oldest and fatherless, who dwelt in the valley of the Withywindle east of the Shire. At some stage in the past, he seems to have settled at the edge of the old forest, setting himself boundaries, but boundaries within which his power was extraordinary. Tom was a creature of contradictions, one moment defeating ancient forces with hardly an effort, the next capering and singing nonsensical songs. Wild card. Wild card. The Encyclopedia of Arda also points out that Tom Bombadil is, like, unfathomably old. He says he's dwelt in Middle-earth before the elves passed westward, as in before the elves moved from the, their ancestral birthplace in Cuyvianen, yeah, far in the east, and started migrating toward Valinor. So it's like first age stuff. No, before. Well before. Yeah. Like thousands oh, right, of years right. before the first age. Yeah. So before there were men, or orcs, or hobbits, or wizards, or anything else, this singing jackass was there. <laughs> and this is important because it allows us to dismiss the theory that Tom was an elf, because he obviously can't be an elf if he was in the old forest before the elves even journeyed westward. Whoa, okay. Like, also, he's too short. Right, I was gonna say, shorter than a man, so... Right, and also, he's, like, kind of a goober, so let's <laughs> set that theory aside. Elves are explicitly not goobers. Elves are, yes. Tolkien, Tolkien wrote that. Wisest, fairest, and non-gooberest <laughs> of all creatures. These elves, they ain't goobers. They ain't goobers. They ain't their own wizards of loneliness. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Nathan for you reference. That's a J.R.R. Tolkien quote. That's a J.R.R. Tolkien quote. Nathan for you was quoting. Yeah. All right. So this one, I want you to guess. This is the second theory. Okay. Theory number two. He's Indian. <laughs> Two, he's a person from India <laughs> who existed before anything else in this world. Yes. Before anything else in this world was born, Indian people existed. Yeah. <laughs> no, this is a song called Maya Maya. Oh, he's a Maya. So Maya. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tom was a Maya. Well, yeah. So another theory is that Tom was a Maya, like Sauron and Gandalf and the Balrogs. And this is a really common suggestion to the point where a lot of people will treat it almost as a fact. But, 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 but. There is no direct evidence for this. Uh, it seems to be based on the idea that, like, Tom obviously can't be a Vala, and there's no other possibility, so he has to be a Maya. But he was around before the Maya even sent to Arda, right? Okay, well, so, yeah, well, before the wizards were, yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, and this is flawed on two levels. First, Tom could be a Vala. And second, there's at least one other possibility besides that. Mm. So we can't say for sure that Tom wasn't Amaya, but there are issues with this. So the first issue is that the ring has no effect on him. Mm, okay. It affects Sauron, certainly. Certainly affects Saruman, Gandalf, sure. all the other Maiar. But, uh, quote, when Tom put the ring round the end of his little finger and held it up to the candlelight, there was no sign of Tom disappearing. Hmm, so he doesn't disappear, and then he gives the ring back to Frodo with a smile. So obviously he's not tempted by it at all. That's crazy. Right? He should have been the ring bearer. Yeah, I know. That's actually another thing people complain about. Yeah. People people who don't know much about Lord of the Rings will complain about why didn't the eagles take them to Mount Doom. I think Tom makes more sense. People who know more about it complain about why didn't Tom just well, do it. Well, the problem is he would take forever to get there because he stopped me thinking along the way. I, I think, yeah. <laughs> Ring-a-ding-ding. I have my ring. Don't kill me, ring wraith. It's okay. He's what? a little bit disconnected from Middle-earth at large. He's just like yeah. too unfathomably old to even really know or care what's going on. Okay. He just wants to live with his wife in a cottage and sing a bunch of 
stupid songs. I feel like he's the kind of guy who would like outlive Sauron's evil reign anyway. Like, so yeah, it's just kind of a blip on his radar. He's been yeah. alive for like thousands and thousands of years, right? Okay, sure. Yeah, so Tolkien himself confirmed, yeah, Tom Bombadil is immune, basically. Okay. That is obviously off the table. But let's look at theory number three. Okay, let's do it. Third theory. Okay, get ready. See if you can guess what it is. <laughs> Joanna, I already guessed he was Indian. <laughs> this song is called Vala. Vala? Yes. Valar. Yeah. As it turns out, a lot of Tolkien's lingo, like, also is the title of Indian songs. Bollywood songs. Bollywood songs. Actually, that other one, the one I played previously, was a, was a Tollywood song. Oh, excuse me. It's a Tollywood song, so, you know, know the difference. Theory number three is that Tom was a Vala. Like Manwe, no, Ulmo, Varda, and Morgoth. That's a good question. Yes. This whole time you've been saying Maya, Vala... Are the R's silent on these things? No, this is because I suck. Okay, so the plural of Vala is Valar, oh. and the plural of Maya is Mayar. But I've screwed it up consistently. And it's not even that I don't know. It's just okay. that, like, my I routinely mess up every single time. Okay, I don't mean to call you out on the podcast. You can call me out on the podcast. It's about time somebody did, because I've been doing it for, like, 30-plus episodes. Haha. But anyway, a Vala. Vala. Singular. One problem with this theory people say, is that there were only a few Valar, 14 to be precise, and we know all their names, and none of them was called Tom Bombadil. Can you imagine? Manwe, Ulmo, Varda, and Tom! Tommy! <laughs> sounds stupid. However, it should be stated that all of Valar had many different names among the different races and cultures of Middle-earth. Okay. And also, Elrond says of Tom Bombadil, Bombadil was not then his name. Earwain Benadar, we called him, oldest and fatherless. But many another name he has been since given by other folk. Hmm. So it could just be one of uh, many alternate names for Evala. Okay. So it isn't, like, totally inconceivable that Tom is one of the 14 known Vala who's dwelling incognito in Middle-earth. All right. It seems almost certain that Valar would be capable of resisting the power of the ring. Sure. So we can set that aside. However, got a little bit of a, a picky little difficulty here. All right. So Tom, this is what Tom says of himself. Aldith, that's what I am. Tom remembers the first raindrop and the first acorn. He knew the dark under the stars when it was fearless, before the Dark Lord came from outside. Right, so a few things to note here. All of the Valar existed before Arda was made and when it was all dark and the sun hadn't risen. Okay, so there's no problem there. However, Tom says that he knew the world before the Dark Lord came from outside. Mm-hmm. Now, the term Dark Lord could refer to either Morgoth or Sauron, and if it's supposed to refer to Morgoth, then that's a problem. Because Morgoth was literally the first of the Valar to come to Arda. Whoa, okay. So so Tolkien says, like, swiftly as the other Valar fared, Morgoth was there before them. Hmm. He made it there first because he was, like, super evil and he wanted to, like, mess it up before they could get there. Outside the world, that would appear to refer more to Morgoth than to Sauron, mm-hmm. because Morgoth literally came from outside Arda and the descended to Arda. Okay. Which wouldn't make sense, because Tom Bombadil couldn't be there before Morgoth, because Morgoth was, like, the first being there. However, it could conceivably also refer to Sauron, and when he says coming from outside the world, he could have meant from outside Middle-earth. Okay. You know, because Sauron originally lived in Valinor. So, you know, it's possible. It's a bit of a stretch, but it's possible. However, there's one more objection to the Vala theory. A lot of characters we would expect to recognize a Vala living in their midst, like Gandalf, mm-hmm. don't appear to do so. I mean, if Gandalf recognizes that Tom Bombadil is like a living god among men, he doesn't ever say anything, which is weird. He probably would mention it, right? Yeah, you'd think. Oh, by the way, Hobbits, you have a god down the street. From like, here. living in that forest right by Buckland? Yeah, like, there's there's a god there. Speaking of gods, this brings us to theory number four. You can't see it, but Ryan and I were putting our hands up like we were at um, like a church retreat oh, like church in, in middle school. Yeah. So like Spring Hill, putting your hands up and just like feeling that Jesus. Yeah. So theory four is that Tom Bombadil's God. God. Like capital G God. Like, like the God the of all. Yes. So his powers are apparently limitless, at least within his own domain. And so a lot of people have suggested that he might be none other than Iluvatar, the God of Ooh, all. Interesting. 
There are several hints that this might be the case. For example, he's repeatedly called Master and Eldest, and Goldberry says of him, quote, He is. That sounds like a god. Sounds an awful lot like I, I am. am. Right? All of these might suggest that Tom and Iluvatar were, in a sense, the same being. However, Tolkien himself says in his letters, There is no embodiment of Iluvatar. Iluvatar mm. does not have a physical form at any point. He does not come to Arda ever. He remains remote outside the world and only directly accessible to the Valar. So if there is no embodiment of Iluvatar, then Tom cannot, of course, be such an embodiment. Mm. So, so much for theory number four. Do you have more theories? I have one more. Okay. You ready for one more theory? Yeah. All right, see if you can guess what this is. He's a horse? <laughs> okay, you have to remember what the horse's name is, Ryan. Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron? Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron. <laughs> He's a spirit. Okay. There's other many songs called Spirit. I had to go. Maybe like Spirit in the Sky, Joanna? Come on. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Your first thought was, I'm going to go with the horse musical. <laughs> with the theme from the television version of Spirit Stallion <laughs> of the Cimarron. It's not even like the original animated movie. It's like the CG cartoon. It's a banger. What can I say? All right. So theory five is that Tom is a spirit. What does that mean, though, compared to like a Valar or, or Luvatar? What does that mean? Okay, well, for this, we kind of have to go far back, before Lord of the Rings, even before The Hobbit, to a certain extent, to take a broader view of Tolkien's cosmology. So when he discusses the eight mightiest Valar in the Silmarillion, he says, In majesty they are peers, surpassing beyond compare all others, whether of the Valar and the Maiar, or of any other order that Iluvatar has sent into Ea. Okay. Any other order, implying that when he sent the Valar and the Maiar, he also sent some other things. Oh, Interesting. Curious. So this phrase, any other order, seems to be a survival of a much older and more detailed account found in the Book of Lost Tales. So this is where Tolkien mentions brownies, fays, pixies, leprons, which is like his weird way of saying leprechauns, and many other things. He says their number is very great. They were born before the world and are older than its oldest and are not of it, but laugh at it much. Oh, interesting. So Barda has a bunch of little pixies and fairies. It has. So this is like... His attempt to kind of unify it with Northern European traditional mythology. Okay. Right? Like We never see them. We never see them, but we can infer, at least if we take his older work at its word, that they were there. This version of a spirit, unfortunately, doesn't address, like, some of the other problems already discussed. So, for example, why would a leprechaun be immune to the ring when the Maiar aren't? <laughs> They got the gold! Leprechauns love gold. Like, this is a major issue. Oh, halibigora. Could you imagine how annoyed you would be if you were, like, a demigod and the ring made you feel all, like, sick and tempted and greedy and then, like, a leprechaun shows up. He's like, I don't feel a thing. I don't feel a thing. I'm a lady. <laughs> it seems sort of unlikely that he would be that type of spirit. However, there's another type of spirit in Tolkien's work. And this is, quote, a spirit of nature. Oh, that sounds like Tom Bombadil. Yeah, so this is one of the theories for Goldberry, is that she's like the spiritual embodiment of autumn. Ah, okay. And Tolkien says in a letter at one point, Do you think Tom Bombadil, the spirit of the vanishing Oxford and Berkshire countryside, could be made into the hero of a story? Ooh, okay. So... That, of course, far predates Lord of the Rings, so it's kind of circumstantial evidence, but it's definitely possible. There's also a line that Legolas says, but the elves of this land were of a race strange to us of the sylvan folk, and the trees and the grass do not remember them, only I hear the stones lament them, implying that trees and grass and stones and all the nature elements have spirits. Spirit of nature, possibly. It strains credulity that a spirit of nature would wear yellow boots and live in a house, but... You've been around a while, I mean... That's probably the best guess we have for right now. Want to hear my theory? Yeah. Tom Bombadil... Yeah. ...is J.R.R. Tolkien's self-insert. Do you think J.R.R. Tolkien was actually like that? I think it's not so much how he presented himself... Yes. ...how he felt on the inside. Because, listen, he likes to write lots of songs and poems Oh, and he things. loves it. Yes. And... 
if you think about it, he was around before any of this Arda nonsense was even started because he made it up. It came from his very brain. He's oldest and fatherless. And fatherless. He didn't have a father. Well, yeah. yeah. His father left the No, that's actually not true. He's the oldest creation. Is his, is his own life, his own self. I could see how you would make that argument on like a metaphysical level, but do you think he literally was thinking that? No, I think he just it just came out that way. But he could also be mentioning that he, he's older than any of that stuff because he wrote the book of poems about him before the Lord of the Rings. He did. That's true. That is true. Tom Bombadil was created before the Lord of the Rings. And so he, as far as like in a meta sense, he was around before any of that stuff. That's extremely meta for a man who professed to hate allegories, but I could see... Is that really an allegory, though? I think it's... it's well, it's meta, meta, anyway. I think it's more of a wink to his fans. Be like, hey, you read those books? Can you imagine how annoyed you would feel? You got into Oxford University, like the most prestigious university in England. You're going to your first day of Old English Linguistics class. And your professor walks in in yellow boots and a bright blue coat and is like, Hey, doll! Mary doll! Where's a dog pillow? <laughs> You'd be like, all right. I'm out. I'm out. Bye. Okay, I like that theory. I just think he's getting meta with it and then lets it go by the time he gets more into his world building by the end of the, the saga. I mean, definitely his feelings on the world did change and develop and mature as he went. So, you know, it's possible that that was kind of something he was thinking at some point. You think he had plans to bring Tom Bombadil back at all? Not really. I feel like after he finished Lord of the Rings, he just kind of went back to working on his greater mythology, which was like the Silmarillion and stuff, which was not necessarily ever intended to be published. And no no Tom in the Silmarillion? No, not that I remember. Hmm. So, you know, it's hard to say. Is he kind of a leftover from when, like, these were stories for his kids, maybe? Yeah, I think so. I think that's definitely safe to say. But like I said, Tolkien was very meticulous about editing, so he wouldn't have left Tom Bombadil in by accident. Right. He definitely put him in there because he felt that he was a necessary element of the story. Peter Jackson and other adapters have subsequently disagreed with that. Right, right. Well, again, he was key to all this. Tom Bombadil is the key to all this. And who was the key to Star Wars? You want to tell us? You know him. You probably hate him. Talking about JJ today. Abrams? Binks. Oh, God. Jar Jar Binks. I knew you were going to do this to me eventually because you are like the world's greatest Jar Jar Binks apologist. Like, apart from the guy who played Jar Jar Binks, you are the only person I've ever seen defend Jar Jar. I don't think he's that bad. Well, you are going to have a tough road to hoe explaining why. Well, okay. I'm going to start by telling you about his species, the Gungan. Now, Gungans as a species, besides Jar Jar, only show up in episode one, The Phantom Menace. You know, they're amphibious creatures. They have strong lugs and cartilaginous bones. Uh-huh. That's how they can bend around so well. And Jar Jar's very flexible. Uh, I thought it was just because CG animation wasn't developed enough, and so characters always end up looking kind of floppy. No, 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 like that it... part in the first Harry Potter movie where he's on top of the troll and he looks like a dish rag. Well, just like Harry in that scene, no, it's because her bones are made of cartilage. Oh, I didn't realize Harry Potter was totally it was, um, it was made a, of cartilage. It was a spell. They didn't sh- Cartilaginous. They, they cut out the, the chapter and the scene where he turned all his bones into cartilage. So like a lot of amphibious creatures, Gungans are born as tadpoles, and a few months into their life they develop limbs. That's kind of cool. I want to see a baby tadpole Gungan. I think it'd be kind of cute. Does that mean that Jar Jar was a tadpole? He was once a tadpole, yeah. But he's not the only Star Wars character who was a tadpole. Uh, Mon Calamari and Nautilins are also tadpoles and they're born. So, like, Akbar? Admiral Akbar was once a tadpole and so was Kit Fisto. That would be cute. Right? I would actually want to see that. But the Jar Jar tadpole, I'd step on it. Gungans are not all bad. I would step on Jar Jar. They have a rich and varied culture, and Jar Jar is an outcast of them. They have powerful tongues for catching mollusks underwater, and long ears for swimming and also emoting. Okay, yeah, like dogs do. And they could, like, flaps underwater. They can use them to, like... Like fins. Like fins, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. You might have noticed in episode one, there's actually two different types of Gungans. There is? Okay, you got the... Like the fat ones so, and the skinny ones? Well, com- yeah, compare Jar Jar to Boss Nass. I just thought he was, like, rich, so he was really fat. Well, that's part of it. But there's two different subspecies of Gungans. There's the Otola Gungans, and there's the Ankura Gungans. Yes. Otola Gungans are like Jar Jar, or General Tarples, where they have, like, the eye stalks and the long duck beaks. Right. Stuff like that. The green ones, like Boss Nass, they have the hooded eyes and the short beak, they're the Ankura Gungans. They're a little bit more more heavy. Are they all chunky? Yeah, most of them are pretty, they pretty all go stocky. Like... <laughs> yeah, probably. Okay, cool. People thought they were primitive. Thing, and they were right. No, Gungans have a rich and varied culture, and they have their own technology they developed themselves. Really? You know, like their underwater city, right? Yes. They have this magical bubble around it. They're amphibious. They don't even need that. No, they don't, but they've managed to create it. 
That's their own technology. They they harvest this sort of uh, energy goo yeah. from the depths of Naboo's oceans that kind yeah. of comes out of the core, and that it's that blue stuff. If you remember in episode one when they're launching like those those balls at, at the at the droids, yeah, that's that stuff. And they also oh. use it to power their shield generators. You remember there's a part where there's like a big beast of burden and this big shield came out yes, of him, yes. right? That powers the bubbles as well. It's like a a force field that people can pass through and up, but also like defend, you know. And also there's submarines powered by this goo as well, and you know, so there's civilization based on goo yeah goo based okay goo based society cool you're just pissing on gungans man i think no it's fine it's but do they have um literature and music yes they have have epic poems really yes oh okay i can read you well actually i should have our our guest read it when he shows up oh boy yep i thought you know why should i explain his story when we can have him here producer Gollum put in some calls and so oh thanks producer Gollum. i was not too happy about it either <laughs> i bet he was so annoying on the phone we used to live with this one <laughs> what a nightmare <sighs> tell me about it all right well you you've earned yourself a, a, a raise producer Gollum. here's here's a dum dum sucker Fish flavored? Uh, it's root beer flavor, which is objectively the best one. So. No, it's ah, good. It's ruined good. it. Ruined it. You just it. have a stupid palate. You have a faulty ah, palate. Get fish flavored, right. dum dum, please. Get back in your box. Ah. This is as bad as our upcoming guest. All right, yeah, please come in here. Uh, don't, don't touch that, please. Oh, he broke it. Okay, just put that down. Okay, all of our prestigious podcast awards fall off the shelf. Okay, listen, just. Okay, there's a fire somehow. Okay, just. I'll clean it up. Get over oh, here. Oh, 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 oh. Look, he just electrocuted himself. Yeah. That was comical. How did that even happen? We don't even have open cables or anything. Okay, just, just sit down. I'll go clean up the mess. So you're annoyed with him too now. Senator Binks is here. Senator Binks. Former Senator Binks. Oh, my boy. Yeah, I noticed your your legacy as senator is a very illustrious one. You were the one who gave uh, Palpatine the power to yeah. be a dictator. Yeah. That's cool. Misa, the first representative of the Gungan people in the Galactic Senate. And what a great job you did. Oh. You screwed the world. Sorry, Misa did a great job. So what do you want to tell me about yourself, Jar Jar? Well, Misa can tell you my life story. Oh boy, all right. Do you still want to hear? It's a good let's, one. Let's say I do. Let's see Misa begin at the beginning. Misa was born in 52 BBY at Otaganga. The Gungan's favorite son. Uh, well, not, not so much. No, uh, no? no, not, not really. I can't imagine why. No, well, well Misa Daddy was named George R. Binks. George R? Yeah, yeah, he was a great whaler on Naboo Oceans. Wait, sorry, so we have Boss Nast, we have Jar Jar, and then we have George? Some people don't think Misa Daddy is canon, but Misa thinks so. Misa not very popular. Misa has a few, uh, how you say, oopsie daisies? Oh no, really? Yeah, Misa not so good at it. At being a, a good citizen about the Ganga. Uh, what was your biggest oopsie daisy as a well, youth? Misa got a few. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Misa stop. Let me see. Uh, well, there was a time that I was uh, part of a gang of Gungan thieves. Sorry? You were in a gang? You're well, not nearly cool enough to be in a gang. Well, Misa was the distraction. <laughs> oh, that makes more sense. They said, look at Misa, and I dance around, and they still run away. And then you get arrested. Yeah! Okay! They're Misa friends! You realize they were using you, Jar Jar? No, they're Misa friends. Jar Jar, you don't have any friends. Misa got friends. Like Andy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what a friend he was! Anyway, the other was the time where I released all the animals from Otaganga Zoo? Why? Are you an eco-terrorist? No, Misa Clumsy. Okay. Was there, like, wait a minute, wait a minute. So this zoo, what did it have, like, a big red button that said, like, do not push releases all animals? Well, it was a few steps. Misa just hit all of the buttons. Why would you do that? That doesn't sound like an accident. That sounds like willful negligence. Oopsie day. Oh, oopsie day. And so Boss Nass, he sent me to a penal colony. <laughs> like, what, was it like a secret camp, like in North Korea? It was a mining camp. Oh, good. I was there for six months. Did he send you to Siberia to harden yourself with physical labor? Yeah. Oh, cool. Look how hard Misa am. Oh, yeah, super Misa hard. Misa big bombard hard, General. Yeah, look at those guns. Yeah. But then, Misa saved Boss Nass's life. Did you? Yeah. He was in a bongo, you know, a submarine? Yes. Out of control. And Misa saved him by accident. By accident. So you just kind of blunder your way through life, don't you? Misa failing upwards. 
How did you save his life by accident, out of curiosity? Misa just got it under control. Okay. All. all right, that's very, very vague and shady. Well, but... it was kind of going crazy, and Misa go reaching over, and Misa go take my tongue and reach over there, and Misa pull all the levers and the buttons, and the bongo was good. You see, you had this habit, so, like, you see buttons, and you just push all of them. Yeah. And then see what happens. Misa, very curious. Has it ever occurred to you that you might want to rethink that strategy? No. Oh, okay, cool. Boss Nas was very friendly to me from there. He he invited me to a party at his mansion. Yeah? Misa got to go to a mansion. He gave me a job in the kitchen. Yeah. That doesn't sound like you were invited. That sounds like you were... Impl- did he pay you? No. That sounds like you were free labor. Misa did it because it was fun. You saved his life and in return you were made an indentured servant. Yeah. Okay, cool. So Misa was cooking for everybody. Misa making my favorite dish. But then uh, Misa turned the gas off in a bit too high. And, uh, it exploded. Yeah, you're always just doing the most, aren't you, Jar And so, Bosnes, his, his mansion get flooded, and everyone goes screaming everywhere, going, wah, wah, wah. Why are they screaming over a flood? They're amphibious. But the whole mansion was flooded. And so, Misa is like, oh no, Misa have to help everybody. So, Misa grabbed Bosnes' hey blibber. His, sorry, his hey blibber? Hey blibber. What is that? It's a private bongo. It's like a mini submarine. Okay. And Misa's like, I'm gonna save everybody. But Misa crashed it instead. Of course you did. Of course you did, Jar Jar. Why wouldn't you? So... Did you save anyone or did they all die? No, they're fine. They just got wet. Yeah. You didn't need to save them then. Like I said, they're amphibians. They can breathe underwater. Misa tried to be a hero. That Misa, wasn't very Misa heroic. made a few mistakes. So after that, uh, Boss Naz decided he's had enough with Misa. So he used the no comebacky law on me. The no come backy law? Yeah, no come backy. Are all of your laws named by like four year olds? Yeah. Oh, okay. Four year old Gungans named all of our laws. So Misa was banished from Otaganga, and I was gonna be punished with death if I came back. Shame they didn't follow through. So they escorted me to the swamp. And that's where Misa met Qui-Gon. Oh, that's right. You were living in a swamp. Yeah, Misa almost got run over, and Mr. Qui-Gon then jumped upon me. Misa was saved. And so Misa owed him a life debt. I kind of went on adventures with him. I met Annie. Uh, one thing led to leads to another. And then finally, Misa, a big bombad general of the Gungan Grand Army during the Battle of Naboo. Yeah, yeah, you were, for some reason. I think you were just the only Gungan that Queen Amidala had ever met. And so she's like, Gungan general now. Yeah, she's my friend. Yeah, that was really questionable on her part. So Misa was a great war hero. But... But Qui-Gon, he got so killed. Yes, by, he did. By Darth Maul. So Misa liked that all gone, okie day. We so free. Yeah, free to screw over the entire universe. You probably did more damage than any other living being in a galaxy far, far away. Well, Misa made a few mistakes. A few, few mistakes? What can I say? Misa clumsy. <laughs> so, can I ask you some questions, Jar Jar? Yeah, I got more to tell you, but question's okay. What is your education? School of Hard Knocks. Okay, so none. Uh, have you ever known the touch of a woman? Misa was very busy. <laughs> okay, so with no. With Misa's political career. Okay, so a lifelong virgin. Um, Let's see. Have you ever won any sort of award? Well, Misa was the Bombette General. Misa got a medal and everything. Okay, so participation award. Yeah, it's all really adding up. Jar Jar, it's adding up. Tell me more. Okay, what do you have to tell me? All right. After that, Misa was the ambassador for Nabo humans and Gungan relations. So Misa would go to Thede and talk to all the ambassadors and go back to the Gungans and tell them what I saw. Yeah, just who they want as an ambassador representing the Gungans. The Gungan that was so annoying that all the other Gungans kicked him out. Yeah. But Misa go to Coruscant with Miss Amidala one time and Mr. Palpatine? Assassins tried to kill him. Good. But Misa saved him! Why would you do that? He was clearly evil. First of all, his name is Palpatine. Second of all, he's clearly like a like a like a weird, shifty old man. But he's from Naboo. He's a Mima people. He was not a good guy. Anybody anybody who watched that movie could tell he wasn't a good guy. He's a nice to Misa. Mm, jar 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 jar. Okay then. Uh so after that, Misa was appointed as the associate planetary representative of Naboo. Making me the first Gungan in the Galactic Senate. More like the worst Gungan in the Galactic Senate. Or the best. Well, I mean, I guess by definition you're the only one, so you are simultaneously the best and the worst. But mostly the worst. So Misa had a great political career started. Yeah. Misa made a few more mistakes. Oh, a few. Just a few. 
Yeah, uh, there was a time where uh, I accidentally released all the birds from the endangered Shreveport aviary. How do you keep doing Once again, was there a button that you just pushed? Well, Misa was there cutting the ribbon. And Misa cutting the ribbon. And Misa maybe cutting a few more things I shouldn't have cutting. And How do you mess that up? How are you cutting a ribbon and then you're like, oh, suddenly I'm cutting a hole in the front of the building. What? Misa didn't mean Happens to. all the time. Well, Misa sure. got distracted, you see. Another time, Misa was at a, a fundraiser dinner. And Misa was trying to be very polite. In, and so Misa tucked Miss Misa robes in. But Misa accidentally tucked in Misa tablecloth as well. Oh, no. Into Misa robe. And Misa got up and Misa pulled in the tablecloth. And a, Misa broke a priceless ice sculpture. Who's going to pay, like... Well, I guess it's a specialized. Special what kind of ice? Space ice? I'm Misa, I know. Okay. It doesn't matter. Misa broke into a million pieces. Oh, good job, Jar Jar. One time, there was a refugee relief movement <laughs> dinner, and Misa accidentally caused a, a level five security alert. Oh my god, what did you do? Well, Misa was. They couldn't find Misa. They said, Where's Jar Jar? He's so important. Where'd Misa Binks go? Where's the senator? And they, everyone was looking for me. They thought Misa had been kidnapped. It was funny. Misa just locked himself in the coat room. Jar Jar. Yeah. Have you ever been diagnosed with anything at all? No. What's that mean? Well, I mean, do you have, like, some kind of disorder? No, Misa normal. Normal? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I also love the fact that um, you being out of the room for a few seconds is, like, such a precarious turn of events that it's a level 5 security alert. Or Misa could trip over like, something. What else Misa, are you breaking? Misa press a button. Miss a break a priceless artifact, you know, lots of things could have happened. Yeah, well, it didn't, did it? No. Okay, well, cool. That's, that's so one me. time. I guess Miss a biggest mistake. Misa was very proud of this at the time. Misa suggested the Senate that Supreme Chancellor Palpatine have the emergency powers to create the Grand Army of the Republic. Jar Jar. Yeah. Do you have any idea... How much you screwed the entire galaxy well, with that move. Do you have any idea how many people died? Not just the men, but the women and the children. How many people were oppressed? How many babies starved because of your stupid decision? Oopsie day. Oopsie day. You know, there's 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 a point at which it bypasses charming and, and, and becomes straight up pathological. Misa was just doing what Misa thought was best, okay? So Miss Amidala said, Jaja, do what you think is best, or Misa out of the Senate. Well, then and so, did she know you were history's greatest monster? Well, Mr. Palpatine said it was a good idea, and his friends said it was a good idea, so Misa said, it's a good idea! Jar Jar? Yeah! You were dangerously stupid. Okay, day. After that, Misa was still a senator. How? How are you still a senator after that? The Senate was, like, dissolved. Not yet it wasn't, because Misa had some fun Clone Wars times. Misa went to Rhodia and made friends with a big bombad caterpillar named Bogey. You, I'm sorry? Misa crash-landed with a million credits and spice. Paid for Count Dooku's ransom. Oh, uh, okay. Misa accidentally got Miss Amidala infected with the blue shadow virus. Whoa, 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 whoa. She got better. Okay. I led the Grand Gungan army on Moncala, swimming around in the water. We got captured by Quarrens, but Misa got out. Misa almost got sacrificed to the Frangol cult on Baldota. Darn. But Mr. Mace Windu saved me. Mace, why would you even? We had to chase down the cult leader, and Misa found him hanging out with Mother Talzin. Oh, you mean of the uh, the witches of Dathomir? Yeah. So Mr. Mace Windu fought her while Misa blasting all the cultists. You you murder. I mean, you directly murdered. Obviously, you you indirectly murdered millions, but you directly murdered people. Whoops a day. Whoopsie day. So Misa had some big fun. You know, I I I, I want to point something out about out about Mace Windu. Your buddy Palpatine murdered him. Are you aware of that? Ah. Uh, so you were like, I mean, he saved your life, and you were pretty much responsible for his death. Well, Misa was told he just went up to the farm. Uh, no, that's what people say about golden retrievers that oh. die. No, he got pushed out a window and died by Palpatine. Oh, Mr. Palpatine said that he just, uh, took him on a trip. Mr. Palpatine is a liar. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. I mean... Everyone I... you've ever loved, you have caused immeasurable suffering well, to. Well, yeah, Miss Amidala did die. Yes. Misa got to take her job when she was done. Oh, wow. Maybe that was your plan all along, huh, Jar Jar? Maybe this whole, this whole thing is just an act. Maybe well, you're not really that stupid. Maybe you're stupid like a fox. Uh, nah, Misa's Misa, Misa smart. Misa just made this bad decisions sometimes. Misa kept that job for about 
13 years about, sir? Oh my god. I got replaced after the new queen came in and uh, appointed someone new. So me's a political career be done, so. So what are you doing now in your retirement? Well, me's have just been going from place to place, seeing how things are going. They was telling how Misa might have been a clown, but Misa not sure. You're not, you're not sure if you were a clown. All I can tell you, you may sir, or may not have been a clown, but you can't remember. Is that Misa ain't no Sith Lord. Misa been seeing a lot of theories on the internet about how Misa a Sith Lord, a secret Sith Lord. That's crazy. I don't think you're a Sith Lord, Jar Jar. Oh, good. You Sith Lords agree. have principles. Oh. Yeah, so Sith... Warped principles, but principles nevertheless. This a podcast believe that me not a Sith Lord. Yeah, yeah, no, I think you're worse. Oh, okay then. Uh, have you done any self-reflection since the end of your political career? Like, thought about the things that you did and why you did them and maybe why they were bad? And well, Misa looked in the mirror a couple times. Did you take a very long, long, hard look in the mirror, Jar Jar? Only because Misa had something stuck in Misa's ear. Okay, all right. So, Jar Jar, it's not so much that you're immoral is as you're completely amoral. You you have no... I'm not immoral. Misa, a Gungan. <laughs> okay, Jar Jar, I just realized something. Yeah. You're the most frightening character in all of Star Wars. Okay, day. Misa not so scary. Misa just clumsy. Misa just clumsy. In a in a, yeah. in, in, in a in a weirdly malicious way, yeah. Misa just clumsy. Who are you trying to convince, Jar Jar? Misa clumsy. <laughs> Is there anything else you'd like to tell us and our listeners? Any other questions for Misa? Um, how do you sleep at night? Underwater in me bubble house. No nightmares or anything. No no heavy drinking. No, Misa have happy dreams. What uh, does a mass murderer dream about at night? Misa dream about being a race car driver. A race car driver? In a big bombad racing. Ooh, okay. Misa dream about teaching kids how to read. Jar Jar, can you read? No. Then how are you going to teach children how to read? Misa think I've done some learning things. Misa dream about dancing. All kinds of dances, like Gungan style. <laughs> Oba Gungan style. Yeah. I have one more, one final question for you. Yeah. When you are dead and gone and history reflects on you, what phrase would you want people to use to summarize your life and legacy? He's a clumsy. Okay. He's a bombad clumsy. I think that probably covers it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for for, for visiting us. Well, thanks for having me. Me some big, big bad roommates with Mr. Producer Gollum. Your roommates with Producer Gollum? No, we were in college. Oh, in college? We at CGI University. Wait, I'm sorry. I thought you said you had no formal education. Just me to learn how to be on a green screen. Oh, okay. Was that was that an intensive program? Two-year program. So Mr. Producer Gollum and our other roommate, Mr. Darby. Mr. Darby. We had a good thing going. No! We hate him! He's a clumsy fool! I- I'm with you on that, Producer Gollum. Yes. Well, Mr. Smeagol likes me, right, Mr. Smeagol? We don't like him either. Well, <laughs> Smeagol likes everyone. He was a big mess maker, and we had to clean up after him. <laughs> and he always burning down our apartment. Multiple times, huh? Multiple times. And Smeagol loves ev- Smeagol is a cringing, pathetically eager to please child, and he can't stand you. Stupid clock is right two times a day, or however it's said. Stupid fat Gungan Hobbit. Mister not fat, Mister very slim. Yeah, well, what about Darby? He said not call me in like seven years, but we we'd be very cool. Yeah, I'm sure you're best friends. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Jar Jar. Well, uh, I'll have to ask you to go back where you came from now. Okay, then. Bye-bye. Bye, Jar Jar. I love you. Oh, I do not love you. <sighs> is, is he gone? I, I... He's gone, Ryan. He's gone. So, okay, okay. stop, stop. Okay, that's not the door out. That's the closet. What are you doing? Get out of there. That's where Neil Gaiman's portal is. Oh. Jar Jar. Okay, he's gone through the portal. Jar Jar. Okay, fine, fine. Neil will deal with him. Yeah. Neil can deal. Neil with will deal. So Jar Jar, as you know, is one of the most hated characters in all of Star Wars canon. And I found this kind of interesting on Wikipedia as well, because most canon characters, like or main characters, have these really long articles with like tons of different comics and, and games and stuff mentioned. Jar Jar is 
just basically covers his appearances in the Clone Wars and the movies and a couple of spin-off comics that are not canon. And that's like all he gets. Really? It's not very long. History is actively Even on the Legends Jar-Jar. page where they stick in all the nonsense, it's still like... Nobody even wants to make up legends about Jar Jar. Like when Jaina and Jason Solo have a longer article than you and they're not even like in the movies, like you got some problems. Right. When you're on par with Butch for but, how long your honestly, article is. George Lucas, he first envisioned him, I have a quote here, as a... Talking, feeling, walking, running, falling, fainting bundle of amphibious comic relief. Yeah, well, all right. Comic relief, I guess, if you're like six, but... His son, Jet Lucas, came up with the name Jar Jar Binks and also the word Gungan. It's what he called tractors and trucks. Wait, what? He was like a little baby at the time. He's he like called a... him Gungan? Gungan. 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 And so that... was like, ho, ho, that's funny, Jet. I'll call my species after this. And he's like, yeah, yeah. So does that mean Jar Jar's really like a truck? Yeah, he's like a truck or a tractor. Oh, cool. <laughs> Kids like, liked him a lot. Oh, yeah. I, I liked him when I was a kid. But for adult fans, they hated him. He was immediately cast upon as the worst part of Star Wars. There was these fan edits that were made at the time. Remember one I had on my computer was called the Phantom Edit, where they cut out all of Jar Jar's scenes. Well, that just shows that like he doesn't add anything. He didn't really add much, no. I mean, there's some parts where it didn't really flow very well. There's one edit that I actually kind of liked where they garbled Jar Jar's voice, kind of make it sound like an alien language. Yeah. And they gave him subtitles like the other aliens in Star Wars. Yeah. And made him like a huge asshole. <laughs> like, kind of a sarcastic jerk. Yeah, yeah. It kind of worked pretty well. It was kind of, like, the way people reacted to him was kind of similar, how they would react to like a sarcastic... Somebody who's just being a jerk. Yeah, exactly. Kind of entertaining. That's the thing. Like nobody shows any love or friendship towards Jar Jar. Like the whole time he's there, everybody is pretty much actively like, "We hate you, Jar Jar." Yeah, and yet he sticks around. While looking through things about Jar Jar, because I remember there being so many like hate pages. There's an entire web ring about death to Jar Jar. Yes, and I found the original death to Jar Jar Binks page. What on way back or something? No, it's still up. It's still oh, running. Wow. There's some dead images, but it's still running. And so it has this forum where you can. Submit your opinions about Jar Jar Binks. It dates all the way, like, they have 1999, 2000, 2001. That's how long this site ran, but it's still up. Wow. So I have some some choice nuggets of input from fans from back in 2001. Let's hear these from, like, 17 years ago. Now, some of these may not be good for child ears, so... Are we going to bleep them, or are we just going to... Well, you are warned. Okay, forewarned. Here's one. This guy is a freak, an imbecile, and an inbred. Some nutcase must have slipped crack Lucas's beer to make him think of that shit. He's a disgrace to Star Wars. Lucas should do the movies the way he did the original trilogy. Jar Jar's nothing but a cross-dressing nymphomaniac. He should be donated, <laughs> <laughs> should be donated to biology class in Coruscant and slay be dissected alive. Signed, Grey Wolf 276. Well, Grey Wolf, I-, I agree with you on most points, but I don't think he's a nymphomaniac. He never shows any interest in sex. Thank God. Here's another one. They should stick Jar Jar in the movie Cube with the characters and they could test booby traps on him. If you saw the movie, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, uh, I have seen the movie Cube. Deep cut. That's Deep from cut. Shred 40. <laughs> Shred 40. Yeah, I also watched the Sci-Fi Channel in 1999. Now here's one that's all in caps, so I'm going to read it like I'm screaming. Okay. I would love to see the next installment open with the usual Star Wars scrolling credits and then have the first scene be a close-up of Jar Jar being shot in the head. Ken. <laughs> wow, Ken. Yeah. Here's another one that's kind of similar to Grey Wolf's opinion. Jar Jar must die. He is an asshole and a handicap, and he is a nutcase. He's a handicap? Jeez. And a nutcase. And a nutcase. Lucas is a moron and a mindless douchebag. Jar Jar is a big piece of shit. He should suck my excited dick and blow up. He's the worst character in the whole universe. Ariel. Sorry, why are people blowing up after giving you oral sex? <laughs> what rare and exotic STD do you have? Suck my excited dick and then blow up. <laughs> also, why are you excited? That kind of implies that you're into Jar Jar that way. That was Ariel's opinion. I'm going to end this segment on Jar Jar Binks with this picture. They may bring up some memories to you. Maybe not. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. Yesterday was the day I forgot about that. No, no. Describe what you're no. seeing, Joanna. Tell us the audience what you're seeing, it Joanna. Is a, it is a Star Wars Phantom Menace branded lollipop, but the lollipop is Jar Jar's head. You squeeze it and his tongue comes out and you suck on his tongue. What an exciting piece of... <gasps> I feel like even children would feel kind of wrong Frenching Jar Jar. This is the official candy of what's lightsaber's precious. Yes, it is. You know what? We should try and like find some. See if there's any for sale on oh, eBay. Oh, that'd be a good prize. Give it out as a like, prize. For a contest, yeah. yeah. You guys know you want a tongue with Jar Jar. <laughs> oh my god. See, like, there's just nothing in Lord of the Rings that even comes close yeah. to 
candy reference Jar Jar. Like, I want to, like, come back at you with something and be like, that's almost as bad as blah, blah, blah. I guess that's almost as bad as uh, a lollipop we get to French Tom Bombadil, if such a thing existed. <laughs> or you gotta, like, lick Frodo's toes or something. Oh, God! Oh, <gasps> do you remember those um lollipops where you would, like, kind of bite it and it would play a song? Like, it would vibrate through your jawbone and you would oh, hear yeah, it? Oh, yeah, yeah. What if they had that, but it was, like, Tom Bombadil's entire song? Oh, I love it. Yeah. And also you were getting electrocuted at the same time. Yeah, the Tom Tom Pop. Yeah. So before we go into our final random facts from these random articles on our random websites, we'll go through our quick plugs at the end here. All right. I'm into it. Um, one thing I want to say is that we are on the latest episode of Vertigas. Yes, Both we are. of us are on the latest episode of Vertigas. So you... if you didn't want to hear just Joanna, you can listen to it and hear my beautiful voice. To be honest, like, I don't know why would anyone would want to hear just me. I have a terrible voice. But... Your voice is great. Thanks, hon. But it's, uh, it's, uh, anyway, featured prominently, as is Ryan's, on the latest episode of Vertigas, which is about three standalone Sandman arcs. The series by Neil Gaiman, friend of the show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, front of me of the show. Uh, since he kidnapped you that just, one time. Just a guy just on a, the show. Just kind of this guy. Show guy. He's like around sometimes. But anyway, yeah, so you know, check that out if you have not yet. Definitely. If you like what you hear, you can rate us up on Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud or whatever. Uh, again, I keep pulling this out every week and no one is doing it. Uh, you can write us a review. And if you let me know that you do, we can give you a cool reward. Like I said, a message from producer Gall, and maybe a message from Senator Binks if he manages to not destroy the microphone. Or a lollipop where you have to French Jar Jar. Yeah, I, or I can translate any song you want. I can transpose it so the Gonkian Droid Choir can perform it. That is all within our powers. So let me know if you do, and you can let us know at whatslightsabersprecious at gmail.com to notify me. Yeah. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Just search What's Lightsabers Precious and I guarantee we'll pop up. Yeah, I realized I forgot to update our Twitter last week when I posted an episode. So whoops. Well done, right? Well, I updated it on Facebook because I'm responsible. Yeah, you are. So to end us out, one last fact about Lord of the Rings, Joanna. Well, I want to tell you about the most unfortunately named hobbit in all of the Shire. Okay. His name is Farmer Maggot. <clears throat> Gross. So Farmer Maggot is shown, well, shown sort of. His little, like, sigh or whatever is, like, scythe, I guess. Yeah. Not scythe. Scythe. It's like those little, like, ninja swords. He's like Raphael. <laughs> scythe. It's popping up above the corn, and the dogs are barking as they're running towards uh, the hobbits after Merry and Pippin have been in Farmer Maggot's crop. Oh, man. Uh, Farmer Maggot's wife is unfortunately called Mrs. Maggot. Oh, gross. Um, They are the Maggot family, and they live on Maggot's Lane. <laughs> Why would you keep that name? Especially if you're selling people produce. Who wants to buy produce from somebody called Farmer Maggot? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's, I mean, maybe in a few generations they'll be the housefly family. I kind of, yeah. yeah the, well, first they'll be the pupa family. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. First, you know, like far, Farmer Pupa, Mrs. Pupa, Pupa Lane. That sounds gross too, though. That sounds really disgusting. And then eventually they'll be a fly, but I mean, you really wouldn't want to buy food associated with flies either. So just like that whole lineage, they need to rethink. How does Tom Bombadil feel about Farmer Maggot? They know each other. Do they really? They do know each other. This this article states he was familiar with Tom Bombadil. Oh, man. Yeah. He, I, and Tom Bombadil couldn't change his name? Tom Bombadil. Of, Bob- of all his many myriad powers? What, Farmer Maggot's name? I mean, I, Your name is now Farmer Fungi. <laughs> I think he could have... Uh, I mean, like I said... It had only been a couple generations since Hobbits had even had surnames. Oh, okay. So you're probably going to change it if you want to. Sam changed his name from Gamgee to Gardner. So basically, Farmer Maggot, he he had to want that name. I got to, I mean, at least his ancestors did, right? Yeah. Like, I would love to see why their family got called Maggot. But that's a story for another day. Yeah. So what do you got? I have a thing called a shock. That's S-H-A-A-K. S-H-A-A-K. Shack. Yeah, Shack. Shack. Shack heel. These are plump quadrupedal herd animals native to the grasslands of Naboo. These are are your favorite Star Wars animal. The potato monsters! These are these ones in episode two look like gourds. Uh, Yeah, they're these big potato monsters. They're herbivorous. They had relatively weak legs and were barely able to keep themselves upright. Oh, so Anakin rides on one, so that's going to make it easier. <laughs> yeah. No one bucks him off. It's like, I can barely support my own junk in the trunk. Get off me. They're incredibly fat, though, so even if they fall over, they don't get injured. It's got dumps like a truck. It's got dumps like, like a truck. Like, its butt is quite pronounced. And also multiple wombs. 
Sorry? So females were continually pregnant, and their compartmentalized uterine system allowed for them to be impregnated by several different males at the same time. That sounds like a fun time. Yeah. Is that why she's so rotund? Full of babies. It was designed to be the Star Wars equivalent of a sheep, but I don't think they know what a sheep is because these things don't have fluff. Um, they're, they're not fluffy. They don't have cute ears. They don't have cute little... T- like, they literally are just potatoes with, with legs. Just meat blobs. I think they just created them because they were easy to CG animate. So next time you see that, say, that's a shack. And that's how you beat it. Just knock just, it over. Just ride on it or push it over and it's pretty much done. Easy. Yes. All right, well, we'll see you next time, halflings. Yeah, hoblocks and ebits. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Hey, doll, merry doll, ring a dong, dello. Ring a dong, hop along, follow the willow. Tom, bomb, jolly Tom, Tom, bombadillo. Hey, come, dairy doll, hop along, me hotties. Hobbits, ponies all, we are fond of parties. Now let the fun begin and let us sing together. Now let the song begin, let us sing together. Oh, yeah. Of sun, stars, moon, and mist, rain, and cloudy weather. Light on the budding leaf, dew on the feather. Wind on the open hill, bells on the heather. Ding. Reeds by the shady pool, lilies on the water. Old Tom Bombadil and the river daughter. A slender as a willow wand, or clearer than clear water. A reed by the living pool, fair river daughter. O springtime and summertime, and spring again right after. A wind on the waterfall, and the leaves laughter. Old Tom Bombadil is a merry fellow. Bright blue his jacket is, and his boots are yellow. Word to your mothers!